Hey gang, welcome to episode 86 of the No Persinium podcast, your guide to immersive entertainment, brought to you by listeners like you. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from Los Angeles, uh, coming to you from my dining room table in Los Angeles, of all things. More, more of a dining nook, let's not get ahead of ourselves, I am an apartment dweller after all. Well, now that we've gotten the TMI portion of the show out of the way, uh, what's on the show today? Well, glad you asked. It is, after all, all you care about. Scout Expedition Company. We are introducing them to you, and in, in to some degree, to the world. I'm very, very happy with this. Uh, who and what is Scout Expedition Company? Well, the who is easy. That's Jeff Leinenweber and Jarrett Lance, who are both... Um, They've been longtime backers of the show, um, which is not how they got on the show. That is not you don't you don't just pay me five dollars a month for you know two years and then I, I put you on the show. No, no, no. You have to do something with your lives. And Jeff and Jarrett do a lot. So they've worked on Delusion, um, their Imagineers. Uh, they've collaborated with Third Rail projects on like secret things. Um, a lot. They've done a lot, and now. Oh, this is exciting. They've got their first original piece that they're dropping on us in April. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about the big philosophical stuff. This is a really fun episode that we recorded at Think Tank Gallery in downtown LA. Shout out Think Tank. What's up, guys? Um, And I'm incredibly, incredibly happy that we get to give that to you. And we also get to give you a massive, massive, massive news and notes. Mostly news, not so ranty. Let's start that right now. The coffee is working. Um, <laughs> we're going to start in New York City because it's been a minute. And also I have a newsletter to work off of. So it's funny how that works. Um, here. No, no, no. The, the name of the show is here. This is not a who's on first type scenario. The name of the show is here. And check this out. It's a long term immersive work that runs in episodic format. So audiences can witness the series unfold over time. Uh, this is this is becoming an, a, a fun experiment that people are trying. A speakeasy society is doing that out here with the axe, which I, in fact, saw last night. Um, and this is in uh, it's in Manhattan. And they're going to have um it's going to arc the characters through time. So uh, it's a it's a story-based, uh, story-based, it's a family-based story. It's a story-based story. Maybe the coffee isn't doing that much good. Um, here, let me just read the copy. With the news of the death of a long-absent father, two siblings and their childhood neighbors find themselves returning to a place they once called home. As they singularly descend on the location of their last physical connection, the four of them find themselves jolted into a layer of whirlwind of memory and sensation where they must not only come to terms with their connected past, but with the paralleled and unexpected reality of the present. So that's here. Another piece, Inside which is going to be at the campus of the Cathedral Church of St. John the Divine. And it's uh, from a group called Pop-Up Theatrics. And it's uh, you get to go through the non-public spaces on the campus. Um, and the whole idea is you're going to witness one world with your eyes and another is unfolding in your head. wonder how they're going to do that. I think I know how they're going to do that. Um, another really interesting setup, this, uh, you know, 
so much of this is about like go someplace you don't normally get to go see something you'd never normally see that piece is called inside and it's going to be march 15th through march 18th that's a short run in manhattan um here i didn't tell you when february 19th so that's this weekend through march 26th all right so check those out one more this is a big one this is march 20th and march 24th so that's a monday and a Friday. That's how it's expressed. Not through and. Maybe, maybe there's something weird about there. I don't entirely trust that setup, but that's what it says on the website. Performateria. It is going to be an off-off-Broadway immersive festival. Tastes from a bunch of different companies. Too many to read. There are a lot. It's going to be at the Baruch Performing Arts Center. That's 55 Lexington Avenue at 25th Street in New York. You might want to check that one out. Also in the newsletter, has the wrong address in the newsletter, but I just gave you the right one. And also you click the link and you get to what you need. Okay. <clears throat> now, normally we go to San Francisco or we'd go to Los Angeles, but not this time. You know why? Do you know why? Because we have a Southeast edition of the newsletter now. And I want to take us to North Carolina where I've got two shows for you. One's in Wilmington, and the other is in Durham. All right, I had to look it up real fast. Scrolling through my notes. Come on. Come on, people. I'm caffeinated here. Uh, the first is Real Life Test, and this is from a company that's uh, normally out of a New York motion picture show. And this is an immersive physical theater work which plunges audiences into the center of a dystopian world where past and future collide with dizzying force. So it's a reality simulator. Uh, no, um, <laughs> sorry, I gotta make the jokes. Um, this piece looks uh, really, really interesting. Um, you know, physical theater coming out of New York, playing in, in uh, the Victory Mansions in Wilmington. Um, I wish I had an unlimited travel budget. I think I'd go check this out. If you are in the vicinity of Wilmington, North Carolina, if you're one of those people who I'm theorizing there's someone out there listening to the show who just like dreams of one day, I don't know why they're listening to such a wonky podcast, but like they're sitting there and they just listen to this part of the show probably. And like, I'm going to, I dream of seeing these things. Well, now is your time. 20 bucks to 35 bucks. Not a lot of money. March through th first through March 5th. Say the words one at a time, one at a time. You can't say two words at the same time. Um, 18 and up, that's a requirement. I'm just saying. This is not a novel. Yes, you already knew a podcast is not a novel, but this is the name of the show. And yes, that's, I think, the third time I've made a joke like that. It's been a weird week. March 2nd through 11th. At the Scrap Exchange Reuse Arts Center in Durham, this is Little Green Pig Theatrical Concern presents a choose-your-own-adventure installation. Three building in the Scrap Exchange Reuse Arts Center will be transferred by over 40 artists and live performers into delirious play space for adults roaming wherever audience members choose to. An audio play adapted from the novels of David Markson will be downloaded to their cell phones to accompany live-action drama, film, dance, and visual art combined in an utterly singular, dreamlike experience. There you go. That sounds like fun. That sounds exactly like the kind of thing I would do with my weekend. March 2nd through the 11th. So you got time. I don't know, man. Like maybe, maybe road trip. Think about it. Think about it. Just think about it.
because one of them is March 1st through March 5th, and one of them is March 2nd through 11th. So, you know, I'm not saying what you should do. I'm just saying what you can do. Let's come home. Let's go to Los Angeles. The poetry brothel is popping up here. I've heard a lot about the poetry brothel over the years, and it's intrigued me because of the poetry. Hi. What? It's going to be on March 12th at 8 p.m. at the Next Door Lounge. Uh, This is the mystical medicine tour that they're doing. Now, um, what what you've got is is the the I'm just gonna read the copy. Based in concept of the Fintasil Bordellos in New Orleans and Paris, many of which function as safe havens for fledging avant-garde artists, the poetry brothel's Madame presents a rotating cast of poets as whores, each operating within a carefully constructed character who impart their work in public readings, spontaneous eruptions of poetry, and most distinctly, as purveyors of private one-on-one poetry readings in back rooms. Now, I will do this kind of stuff for you for free. I mean, um, I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the coffee is really working, guys. Um, 30 bucks, poetry brothel. Uh, this happens in New York a lot. This they've got they've got a cabaret show going on in the front. They got the they got the one-on-ones with the poetry in the back. I love poetry. I read poetry every day. It is part of my media diet. It's like vitamins. Poetry is vitamins. And this is poetry performed live. And uh, it's 21 and up. Cause this ain't this ain't your your high school poetry reading. So um, full bar, live jazz, burlesque, fortune tellers, poets. Here in L.A., March twelfth, next door lounge. Let's uh, talk about other CD locations. Let's talk about the Hotel Play. This one uh, is going to go in the next newsletter. I've known about it for a hot second, but it's coming up at the end of March, March thirty first through April sixteenth. Um, the story is of a, like a, a group of people in a high school reunion who pop together and the audience goes from room to room as they listen to those attending the reunion, pondering what might've been, what could have happened. Um, this, uh, it's going to be down near USC, a bunch more in the next LA newsletter, which I think comes out the week after this one. Wow. We do it every other week. Yeah. So next week, check out the listing for the hotel play tickets are on sale right now. You should be able to find uh, the link in our feeds. I'll make sure it goes in the feeds. Um, here's here's another one. Remote LA. I think I talked about it last week. I did talk about it last week. So Remote LA is coming on March 12th through April 2nd. Uh, that's going to be a mobile piece that Center Theater Group is putting on. Hey, uh, tickets are still on sale for Cavell, which is Annie Lesser's new work. That's going to be the, the wine bar party drinking game f- out of the ABC project. So I think it's like 175 bucks, but that includes an open bar. So, you know, it's a, an hors d'oeuvres. It's, it's your full night's entertainment right there. And Annie's, Annie's fantastic. So uh, if you've seen her other work before, if you're looking for something interesting, uh, it's, 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 it's probably worth the gamble. Probably worth the gamble. You know, haven't seen it. Can't say definitely worth the gamble. Saying probably worth the gamble. Previews coming up and then uh, the shows starting soon. Uh, Shine on Collective announced theirs. Uh, we got that to you last week. That's to the wild. That's also on sale right now. Hey, that's a lot. What more do you want from us? You want everything? <sighs> You're insatiable today. Um, there's more. Hey, one more thing. And those of you who listen to the end of the show will see the moment when I remembered the one more thing. Um, this came in late last night, and that's one of the reasons why it fell out of my brain. Um, fear is what we learned here. 
is going to pop up here in Los Angeles. I know we've hinted at that as a possibility before, but it's coming. It is coming. Um, I've been given clearance to say at the end of March, uh, the 25th and the 26th is when uh, there'll be slots available for you. Uh, The announcements and the website stuff should be popping off relatively soon. So if nothing else, you might want to check over at Screenshot Productions, uh, screenshot.productions to see if the tickets are available yet. If not, check early next week um, because they signed the contract. And uh, once that happens, we go. I know I'll go. I love those guys. All right. Now Now to the end of the beginning. Scout Expedition Company. And now, here's Jeff and Jarrett and myself at the Think Tank Gallery in downtown Los Angeles to tell you all about it. Shout out Think Tank! Here we go. Were there any other like little tips or anything because this is our first podcast so, no I mean, like this is just you guys i mean you guys know the podcast so yeah you're yeah just, you're yeah. just on it right yeah <laughs> and, and we've begun uh but was there anything in particular that you wanted to to mention or talk about i don't know yet we'll find out okay like cool that's that's the right. glory <laughs> so and this will in fact be the way we start the show sure uh, so the gentleman asking the questions about <laughs> what we might want to know that is jeff hi the other voice you're going to hear is jared hi and you guys are as of as of last week on the week we're recording this. You guys are now Scout Expedition Company. That's right. What the hell is that? <laughs> well, I, Jared and I have been working uh, together at Walt Disney Imagineering for a while now, like six years. Uh, we met right. both as interns, um, and then we both sort of work in our own professions. Jared's an architect. I'm a graphic designer, and um, just working through Disney, that was sort of our end to the whole immersive theater world. Uh, we were already really passionate about that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so you, sort and I, of, you and I talked before the podcast started. Yeah. And you are actually one of the, 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 the spoiler alert here, Jeff is one of the original <laughs> Patreon backers. There wow. would actually be no podcast if it wasn't for for Jeff. Oh, man. Like you, you were, I'm pretty sure you were literally the the. the the tipping point in terms of like, Ground oh, level. I guess, I guess we're, I guess we're doing this now. Yeah. This yeah. Is awesome. this, this, well, this it is just felt, fault. it just felt like a natural, <laughs> we needed this, like, and this, and it's grown so much since. Right. It's, yeah. it's so yeah, hard it's, to find out about all the individual shows that happen, that are happening. Cause there's so many things in LA. So thank you. I guess it's like a first thing for putting this together and oh. helping us all connect with one another. That, that was not me fishing for compliments, but I just wanted to make it clear to like the audience that like, like, you know, I mean, is there a level of nepotism here? And in fact that like Jeff is like one of the OG <laughs> like, yes. But at the same time, it's not about, it, it's as much as like the money made it that we could have like the $20 a month we needed to host Libsyn. <laughs> uh, it was also that imprimatur, right? That like someone, someone working in Imagineering was like, yeah, I want this. I'm like, yeah, let's keep this going. And, and it's those forces that make, that get to make LA the center of this, uh, in in a, in a real way. And we were all running in the same circles anyways. It's just like, we're all running circles around each other and nobody knows that each other exists. And so you were sort of like that driving force to connect the dots. Yeah, no, that, that, that was definitely the work. Okay. So sorry, we sidetracked (laughs) no pro history. So you guys were working at Imagineering together. Yeah, we've been working at Imagineering for a while and, uh, it just seemed like a natural fit. We, we worked on events, uh, at WDI, 
um, that we sort of like used our uh, passion for immersive theater and applied it to those events. Um, so it was stuff that was uh, pitching like Blue Sky ideas at WDI that then had a theme for the event that was pitching it. And so Jarrett and I would, uh, you know, go to prop shops and do scenic design on the side for those types of things. And we do like a night, like a kitschy 1950s summer camp with, you know, little camp counselors and skits and all. And it was still very Disney. <laughs> and an indoor uh, stream with running water. And it was essentially this big scenic design project uh, in the middle of our biggest conference room. <laughs> and then, like, so that just sort of, sort of started out as just passion projects uh, at work and um, otherwise. But then it slowly started ramping up. And um, long story short, we ended up working with Delusion. We've worked with Third Rail. Uh, we did a class uh, at Punch Drunk uh, in London uh, with the Drown Man show. And uh, now it just seemed like it was the right time to go ahead and take a stab at it ourselves. We don't come right. from traditional theater backgrounds. Um, but we sort of are uh, using this as our way to get our foot in the door and just to go through our paces and start this first project and do a show. So what's the plan here? What's, what's, the, what's the show? What's the... Well, um, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm asking this as a genuine question. <laughs> so everyone knows I'm asking this as a genuine question because I don't know. This is one of those raw, like, I don't know what's going on right. interviews here. And we're still trying to hammer out, you know, all the final details. I, I, one of the nice things is... Uh, the way we're approaching it is it's kind of trial by fire. We're, we're learning as we go. We're refining the story. Um, but in essence, since we come from more of a scenic design background and not an acting background or a theater background, we're playing to our strengths. And we're kind of studying how can you use objects and sets and props to tell a story rather than actors. And kind of my example of that is... I years ago when I was in college, we a group of us went down to New Orleans and we were helping to clean up a bunch of the houses that were destroyed in Katrina. And you know, as we were going through and we're kind of finding all of this, this person's belongings that are like scattered through the house and trying to uh, you know clean it up for them, you kind of start to build a story of who that person is, even though you haven't met them. Mm. Um, and, Which is totally unlike you would normally meet somebody, right? And they yeah. put on like a facade, they put on a front. Um, of who they want you to think they are. Right. Um, and so without that person there, out of context, you sort of like start to piece together what do they hold valuable, what's important in their lives. That's like my instinct when I was ever I was at a party in high school or college, I would make a beeline to their bookshelves. <laughs> oh, yeah. Look in the medicine cabinet. Yeah, exactly. Well, not the medicine, but I went to the bookshelves. We'll see. Everybody's done to, it, it's okay. And then I didn't have to talk to anybody, too. It's like the <laughs> introvert's number one move. It's like, oh, where's some books? Uh, right. Or are you really? <laughs> and even like a more common example of something like that is if you're going through a relative's attic or, you know, cleaning out an attic or a basement and kind of going through someone's memories as you're opening the boxes or even, you know, if you go to a garage sale and people have kind of items from their life on display, you don't know who this person is. But based on what they're selling, you're kind of starting to create this image of that person in your mind. Even estate sales, I mean, especially, right, because they've passed away. And so, like, and usually these items are all pretty old uh, or that they've collected throughout their entire life. You're getting a good breadth of, like, their entire life's, uh, uh, well, not work, but just what they hold valuable. Yeah, when someone goes through my storage unit, poof, 
They're just going to know. Star Wars and Batman. No surprises at all. Right, but if someone were to look at that, like, what sort of picture would they build from you, and what would they... Giant nerd. Well... (laughs) (laughs) But what's funny, too, is, like, there's a flip side to that, which is that um, they might see all of that, and they might paint that picture of you, but, like, without meeting you, they also aren't getting half of the story, the first half of the story, which is you. So, like... Mm. And even if that is accurate in this situation... Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Like, you might, for instance, like find like uh let's say a bunch of like makeup bags and mirrors and stuff and you might think oh this oh, person reminds me gotta take that out of the <laughs> <laughs> you might think that someone's like really like vain or that they they value their vanity right um but because you haven't met the person you might not know oh well they have all that stuff because they were going to an interview or hmm. like that they had an important part of their life that was related to that so Although it makes me it makes me think also like like the thing that stands out, like it's weird because I'm I was just in my storage unit yesterday and I was like organizing my comics because that's one of the ways that okay. I relax, and you know in in that room there's also there's my old college art bin, some of which has like some really old Kryolan makeup in it, right? From okay. my acting days mm-hmm. and from my from my LARPing days, and so the majority of stuff in there is going to be comics upon comics on comics. But the stuff that's going to tell you stories about moments, about even pivotal moments, are going to be these tiny little things, yeah. the things that aren't like everything else, right? We get back right. to like Sesame Street level, one of these things is not <laughs> like the other. And that's where the story lies. Right. Right? Here is this moment. Why this thing? Everything's like this. Here's this one thing that stands out that's different. Right. So is that the kind of kind of thing you guys are playing around with here? Mm -hmm. I think so, because it definitely is about finding those important moments and then piecing together the story of a woman's life. So in our case, kind of, you know, that's the background of of some of our inspirations for this, but we are saying that you are going into the storage unit of a woman named Josie, who is now older, but in her storage unit, there's all of these objects and journals and audio cassettes. We have like a, a big part of it is about listening to audio cassettes from her life. And... I know some Bioshock fans are going to be oh, very happy. Yes, that's exactly. Yeah. Bioshock <laughs> is a huge influence. Um, Firewatch, Firewatch is a little bit different because mm-hmm. you know you're talking with someone live. But again, th- that idea of using audio um, recordings in order to drive the story forward. So you're going to be going through this storage unit, um, discovering these items and almost like vignettes um, from this woman's life. Mm-hmm. And so we're providing kind of milestones from those. And that sort of spanned the breadth of her life, like from uh, childhood all the way till she's older. Right. And those milestones hopefully let you piece together kind of the holistic, um, a holistic impression of her. Uh, and it is, there, there, there are some gameplay elements. We don't really want to call it an escape room because you're not really trying to solve puzzles per se, but there might be clues in one tape that leads you to a different tape and there's branching paths and we want you to walk away with definitely a good understanding of the story, but depending on what you find, you might have a different impression about who this woman is and the reasons for why she did the things that she did in her life. And I know we're being a little bit vague, but we're kind of like, we don't want to spoil anything. No, I wouldn't wouldn't want you guys to spoil it, but it, it does remind me of things like you know, when Two Bit Circus was starting out with their version of Escape Room, they called it a story room. Or there was a piece at Indie this year called Beautiful Corner, which is both a, a for game designers, it's like a, an ironic nod because like that's one of the things that they do when they're like 
wireframing and designing out a, a piece they'll make like a beautiful corner just like here's the corner of a room right, sure. and like it was just filled with stories so there was you know you weren't escaping from it but right. you you learned a story and that was a linear story but the the glory of or even think I'm thinking now of like the game Gone Home yes, yes. that is also totally. huge inspiration and, and Gone Home you know in the early days before there was a no pro um, we'd have these dinner parties, and it would be couch like Jay Bushman and uh, Sarah Thatcher, who's oh, yeah, another, we know her. who's another Imagineer, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and 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 it was me telling Sarah that 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 put the bat signal up that led you guys to the third rail thing, right? Um, which I actually want to talk to you guys about uh, a little bit a little bit later on because I got to see that piece and, I, and it's worth nice. d- digging into. Um, we would talk about games like. Gone Home and Papers, Please. Yes, um, so funny. You're like, it's like you're in our all of this these. Is, these are the, this is the list. You yeah, were this is our life, yeah. basically. <laughs> and, and this was, and this was, there was this pitiful, pit, pitiful. There was this pivotal moment. And what's sort of sad is that, like, in in the gaming world, like, it, it just started to kind of be this opening up, this little bit of flowering in the indie scene. Uh, and then there's some stuff that happened that distracted from this pathway that was going on. And there's still stuff like Firewatch, you know, occurs and uh, Tacoma mm. uh, has gone on to do the, 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 the spaceship one whose name I can't remember right now. Um, and so there's it's not like it's not like this is a, a, a dead path for gaming. Right. But there was definitely this moment of like, oh, we can we can tell stories in this medium in a different way. And that was one of the things we talk about is like, well, what could we do to make like a, a, a physicalized version of something like Gone Home? Right. But even then Gone Home, which is the story of a young woman who comes back to find her, her childhood home has been abandoned mm-hmm. and she doesn't know why. And so she's, she's, she's digging through the house to learn things. And it's got this, it's got this creepy vibe to it, but it's, right. it's only, it's only a haunted house in the sense of it's um, an emotionally haunted house. Right? And that right. weird like side storyline where like there might there's be ghosts ghost. in the house. Yeah. And, and they, the they, uncle they, was like maybe yeah. a murderer. Like there's yeah. right, there's that weird there's, story there's, about the uncle. Yeah, there's hints, but it but the, the, they're almost at the level of a red herring. Like right. you know, oh. to, like make you expect like something suddenly. To keep you on edge. Right. Yeah, but you never get a scare. Spoiler, right. sorry, you don't get a scare. <laughs> but you do get this really lovely story about a, a family. Right. And but it is a linear story. And what's what what's appealing about reality is that reality is not a linear story format. Right. And there's an ability with immersive to create these other layers and to create those conversation points afterwards. And in something like Then She Fell, everyone goes through everyone goes through the same structure maybe misses a few twists and turns, but out of that, you get a different story right. and you talk about it afterwards. Yeah, we were just talking about that too. It's like you see, because we want to sort of frame our show a lot like Then She Fell in, in terms of, you know, you will get the entire story, but yeah, you'll get only one perspective of that story. So you might come out of it feeling like, you know, was Lewis Carroll, was that an inappropriate relationship about Alice? Was this even about that 
relationship with Alice, or was this just more about like the story? Maybe he was well intentioned. I mean, right. you come with the you come away with something different depending on which scenes you saw. Because if you were you in right, if you were in certain scenes with Lewis Carroll, the, the character, uh, you might feel more sympathetic towards him versus whether you were with, with Alice. So we sort of want to create a little bit of that moral ambiguity, yeah. right? And actually, also like Then She Fell, which you see the different scenes in, in various orders, depending on um, you know how you're brought through the show. Something that'll be interesting with our show, we think, hopefully it works, we'll find out, um, is that as, since you're finding these audio tapes in any random order, you'll probably, you might find one from when she was 12, and then you find one from when she's 60, and then you find one from when she's 35, so it's completely you know, out of order, and hopefully that's... Hopefully that will make sense in the end. And and that order and the way that you progress through this is going to, like we've mentioned in the examples, that will frame your picture of this person. Depending on the order, you might place more significance on something if you find it early on, whether you find it later. Now you guys, you guys have worked with Delusion and you've worked with Third Rail. I want to focus on, in the context of this show, the Delusion side, how, how big... Uh, of, a, of a physical space are we talking about this because we mentioned storage unit but we also right. mentioned the idea of like finding tapes at different points so like what's what kind of footprint because people hear delusion and they might think like oh we're gonna get a mansion out of this uh. it is very small <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's definitely a storage uh, unit size it's okay. probably the size of the room that we're Maybe recording in okay. which yeah. doesn't help I guess the listeners but it's yeah. like what 15 feet maybe by? 200 square feet yeah, yeah 150 yeah. 200 square it, it, it's a small experience but in, so the size of a half a million dollar house in Los Angeles right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, essentially essentially um, but what we're going to do with the sets is just you know use boxes and we, we got a bunch of props yesterday to just start building walls and tunnels and different doing as much as we can to make yeah. different distinct spaces throughout this small space because this is only we're thinking it's a two-person experience at a time, maybe mm-hmm. even one-person experience. So it's very, it's individualized, and you have the chance to wander through this tiny little space and explore however you want. I think it's also, you know, simply a case of working backwards from available space. So uh, yeah. I, I, we're using a, a, a back unit uh, that we have uh, available at uh, my house. So it, it kind of works from there just because... Uh, you know, it's the it's the whole topic that I'm sure is talked about every single time on the show, which is availability of space mm-hmm. and being able to you know find <laughs> it. So this is one thing we can control and we can work with. Uh, so we're going to exploit that and, and use it and work yeah. to our work it to our advantage into the story. And so that's sort of right. where this idea of well, what works in small spaces. Well, and I think there's something to the idea of focusing on density. And I can I can testify. Here's a testimonial. Uh, I I got to experience over Halloween. Over the Halloween weekend, you guys wound up working with Third Rail. They they did a, a, a bespoke piece for a, a developer's lab that Oculus and Kaleidoscope here in town were putting on. And it, it was it was rather thrilling to see it come together because I think, what was it? You guys like pulled a bunch of stuff into a van, brought it over, right. mm-hmm. and then you guys, along with with Zach Morris and, and the performers, like took the, the, the room that you had, right. designed it out on one day, then they rehearsed in there, and like and on the next day, they ran a bunch of people through it. Am I getting that order? Totally. Right? I yeah, mean, we found, like, a, we found out about it maybe a week before the show was put on that, yeah. that evening. Um, and it, that, that's a great example, though, of just like, you can throw stuff together, and like because of that trial by fire nature, 
um, and working with everybody who's so talented, uh, you just create this bespoke piece that's it's beautiful and it works so well. And the only way it could have ever happened to begin with is if that pressure and you know just putting it together that day or that week um, it, it creates such a unique thing that could never have been uh, conceptualized otherwise. Yeah. Right. And, there, and there was just a sheer density to what was going on in that room. And even though as an audience member, uh, you, you, you only got a few key interactions with either the performers or with the stuff in the space, the way it was laid out, you just sort of felt the threads of intent kind of stitched through the whole environment like it really felt like uh an inhabited space and yet at the same time i knew just from the production clock that like there there had been nothing in there 24 hours before (laughs) oh yeah so we were just moving things around up until the last second and just seeing what worked yeah yeah and just sort of leaning against again your um like leaning against the uh, like the constrictions of the room, like even just the size of the room and the shape of the room, and the fact that there was a restroom, a little bathroom that was built into that room. Use it, like work with what you have, and just use it to your advantage. Yeah, and you guys that that got turned into a dark room, and an amazing moment was crafted. I'm in, glad you got in, to do that inside the dark. Because that's one of those one on ones where you like had to split off, and you either got that or something else. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no, and I was really, I was really impressed by that. It, just to let everyone know, like, so it was set up as a dark room, and then the 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 moment was uh, there. It was two participants and one of the performers, and the performer uh, had you hold a key. Uh, we, uh, you know, each person putting their hand on either side of the key, and and the key in our hands were on top of a piece of photographic paper that was then exposed to normal light inside the dark room. Um, and then that piece of paper was developed. We were, you know, I was actually the person who was moving it from from chemical bath to chemical bath. I've never developed a photo physically before. Neither had we two days before that show, yeah. show but we were asked to do it. And so we just, it's actually yeah. an amazingly simple process. It is. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and something that's always been so mysterious to me on one and level. Magical. Yeah, it's yeah. magical. It's so yeah. magical seeing a photo develop right yeah. in front of your eyes. Particularly, particularly a photo that was, that was made by just shining light directly onto the paper. So it right. wasn't even like we snapped a photo. Like it was just, it was literally our hand. And it was like right. the shadow of her hand. So I was just, I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> and it's also kind of interesting that it was at a VR conference because, of course, VR is very high tech. But sometimes the most simple, low tech things are the coolest. Well, that was the other thing that was interesting about about it was that it became about, and this has worked in the lines that, that Lizzie Karena, uh, who's one of the, the, the principals of, at, at Third Rail uh, that she had, which was, um, it became a story about a photograph, a story about photography, a story about how the technology we use defines our lives. And in that became the arrow pointing forward to the VR. And thus, I mean, when we talk about bespoke, like it's easy to say about bespoke because, you know, you talk about bespoke, like bespoke fashion. And it and technically means like we made this for somebody. Right. And people will use that and just like, oh, yeah, it was made for so and so. But if someone else is wearing it, yeah. But no, this was literally bespoke. Like this story was made for these people, um, and that's not something you know. 
that's not something that gets to happen every day and you can have like a lot of money get thrown at it. But I think one of the interesting things about this as a discipline is the idea that as people get excited about it, as people want to make their own, that is the kind of work people can do for each other. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, and, and that's where we start to, you know, touching on things like the LARP type of world and things of that nature. Or it's, you know, it's, it's a, kind of like a more elaborate version of someone makes a scavenger, a themed scavenger hunt for their boyfriend or girlfriend's right. birthday party, right? right? Like, but, you know, here you get, here you can do kind of like similar things, although in this case it was, you know, a corporate client, but <laughs> still. Um, and it was sort of presented, correct me if I'm wrong, as like sort of an, an antithesis sort of to VR. I mean, like at least. Not so- antithesis. I think it was, it was, it was meant as a demonstration of what, immersive means sure right? and in many yeah. many forms yeah and and just i guess what i mean by antithesis is that it just is showing a different side of the same coin yeah well and i, I think i think they're you know the the crossover thing is really interesting right because we start to talk about immersive in terms of vr immersive theater theme park mm. themed entertainment mm-hmm. as a whole um and those of us on the inside it's the closer to the inside you get, the easier it is to see, like, oh, yeah, it is just all the same thing. <laughs> and on the outside, it's it's still people, you know, holding onto one part of the elephant. Right. Um, and and even on the business side, I think that's 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 the, the, the funkier part right now is, like, as people try and figure out how do we convert, you know, all these small theater companies doing immersive theater into something that's a sustainable business or... Uh, and is there a way to do it where it doesn't have to be the McKittrick? Right? right, sure. Which, right now, I don't know. It might be that you need to be leading towards owning you know, a venue, and that's how you do it. Right. But or they do corporate gigs. You know? Or they do corporate gigs. But like this idea of, you know, can you have, can you have like shows get programmed? Like, is it going to wind up like Broadway, or is it going to wind up like the film business? When you look at, you know... You look at the McKittrick, the McKittrick has been there for like six years mm-hmm. now. Right. right. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and they're adding new things. And, and Shanghai and, open. Yeah. Which yeah. we like just barely missed. We both worked on Shanghai Disneyland and uh, it, yeah, I we swear it was there. like the month was like, after we left. <laughs> and they're like, We're no! opening a Shanghai sleep no more. And we're what? like <laughs> Well and then and then and and then like the flip side of that is Disney, right? I mean like the parks like slammed with people all the time. So like, right. let's open up a new one and like, you know, relieve some of the pressure uh, and you could keep on opening. I mean, like at the rate we're going, you could probably have like, you know, Chicago Disneyland just to like, you know, <laughs> something needs to be up up there in the Midwest just to like relieve pressure from, uh, from Disney World and, and, and Anaheim. Oh, please, some pressure off of Anaheim. I just want to enjoy it again. Sorry, guys. I know. You're not allowed to comment, but I it's can. Okay. Um, there's, uh, anyway, let's not talk about that at the moment. Um, but it's, I mean, it's true. There is a global audience for this sort of thing. And there's a hunger for right. it, like in terms of theme park. But even in like Shanghai, the escape room business is booming. I mean, yeah. like, and they take it really seriously. And they have, right full like lounges it's almost like a movie theater where they have the posters of the different uh rooms up on the wall and you hang out you have a beer uh get a snack hang out with your friends do an escape room come back hang out for a bit more do another one do the same 
one again. It's yeah. like it's yeah. a it's a big social thing. I'm like four months behind on going to the Escape Hotel. I like I really oh I went to, yeah um, yeah I thought it was great, but yeah. it is a little bit of that same model um in a smaller scale. But they Escape Hotel they did a really great job with the theming and yeah. the sets. Well, and, but but that that whole idea Nick of like Megan. there's going to be like there's going to be a lounge and a bunch of stuff in it. You know, right. like that. And that's, and that gets back to that, that the idea of like, Oh, there's a venue, there's a venue, there's a place. It's like this, the, this, the boxcar theaters, the speakeasy up in San Francisco, which I still need to see. Like that's a venue. That's a, That's basically a nightclub venue that they've you know, built a show. They built a venue for the show, but they also built the show for, to have this venue. Right. And it's, it's very different from, well, Maybe we can talk about it in these terms, right? Because, like, I just flashed on, you know, Haunted Mansion versus Night Before Christmas at the Haunted Mansion, right? Mm-hmm, like, the right. Haunted Mansion gets treated as a venue, and a different show gets moved in for a few months out of the year, and then it gets cycled back out. Right. Um, I never thought about it that way. Yeah. But, yeah. Space, <laughs> Space Mountain with Hyperspace Mountain. Yeah, or Ghost Galaxy, yeah, yeah. right? And so this idea that, like, we're just going to reskin a venue for a while... Although there is a there is an attraction that's there all the time, but and in some ways that sort of like uh, freshens the original, like it it, it yeah. keeps it going, it sustains it. Like people, when as soon as they're maybe I don't know how you would ever get tired of the haunted mansion, but if you were ever like feeling like okay, you know I want to change a pace, it's just a good refresher, and it, it yeah. changes the space and recontextualizes certain scenes into new things, yeah. and then you know they go back to the standard. Yeah. And my friends, my friends who like there are friends who like love the haunted mansion so much that they like they hate it when it's you know night before christmas mode i i i enjoy both equally because night before christmas always makes me cry right. but like i also you know i think um juliet wrote uh, a uh, article for thrillist uh about being an adult going to disneyland for the first time at age uh-huh. 30 uh, i was her sherpa for that <laughs> i was also it was my i was coming down with the flu and it was the first day the AP holders were back so it was a oh my it was a nightmare it was were like you able to worst. get on some rides i mean we were there for 12 hours. We did get on six rides, which, okay. you know, on a busy day is about average, which, okay. you know, uh, that's one of my problems. I'm not currently an AP holder, right. but it was the second most crowded I've ever seen the park. And it was like January 3rd or something like that. It was the day after mm. Tower closed. And the funny, the reason why I'm telling this is to get to the actual point about the Haunted Mansion. But um, the, the funny thing was, it was the second busiest day I'd ever seen. The first being that first time they did the 24 hours. Oh my oh. god! That's how busy. It was. <laughs> okay. That's how busy it was. I was like having, I was having like flashbacks right. to like being sandwiched in people. Oh, you were there. And okay. I was there. <laughs> I was there. I had friends who were like knocking back drinks at the Carthay Circle at about five o'clock. That's where I'd be at. Okay. Uh, that that <laughs> on the day of the first twenty four hours, and I right. like called them and I was like, "You guys like," and it was maybe it was like maybe it was even like four o'clock or something like that. And I was like, "Oh." Hey, you guys! Like, it's a little bit dead here right now. You might want to come over so we can like get on some rides. And like, we're just having drinks. It's gonna be fine. <laughs> An hour later, it was sardine time, and they're like, oh, yeah. and they called me, and they're like, uh, they closed the gates. We can't get in. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I told you. I told you. And then about an hour later, I was like, I'm leaving. And as I drove away, I saw the hour long line of cars mm. on the five, looking to oh come in God. off the five. And I was like, yeah. this is insane. Everyone's a masochist. Yeah. Why are they doing this to they, us? They like, ran out of food and like drink. I mean, it was yeah. just a nightmare. Yeah. They were was... forming gangs. They were. Well, and now, and they still they have those gangs. They wear colors now, right? You know, like, Tom Sawyer Island was just like. 
Yeah, it was his buddy. It was taken over <laughs> one time in the 60s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was, actually. Was yeah. it? No, yeah. wait. No, that's... Yeah, that's I think it was a no, protest. Was it, yeah, a protest against... Like hippie protest. Really? Against oh. not letting men with long hair into the park, I believe it was. Oh. Yeah. What? Really? And then they marched down Main Street. There's photos of riot police on Main Street and stuff. And it's, they confronted them, and yeah, it yeah. was a big... It was a whole thing. I'm just like, look at my face right now. Because <laughs> like, as I like to say, I was born in the shadow of the Matterhorn. I was born in Orange <laughs> County at St. Joe's. Okay. Uh, so my earliest memories are of, of, of uh, like, like when I first started to be able to form memories, we were living in Anaheim maybe about five blocks away. So you go out on our front stoop and you could see the Matterhorn. Oh, nice. Right? So I have a very intense relationship <laughs> with that place. Uh, it's unavoidable. Um, and... I, I had not heard that story. And for a second, I thought you were like, are you not thinking about like the Bay Area and Angel Island? And, like, the American <laughs> no, activists, no, like, there's photos of it. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, I'll send them over after. Oh, please. <laughs> yeah, I'll find them. We'll use those on the Instagram for the show. Yeah. Um, well, how do we get on it? Oh, uh, <laughs> anyway, it was the night before Christmas time and it was Juliet and Juliet's very goth. Um, and I was like, I was a little sad for her because I was like, the first time you see it, it's going to be night before Christmas. And yet for her, it would have been Nice for her first time to have been the original, the, the original, right? But it also means that it's a reason for her to come back, right? You know, and like experience, but like, right, right first impressions wise, like it's yeah. yeah, you'd prefer them to see the original. And what would you say her overall takeaway was of going as a 30 year old for the first time on a very crowded day? Well, you can read it all in Thrillist. No, um, <laughs> I think like, uh, I don't want to speak for her necessarily, but like, she was. She she's expressed the fact that she was glad that she had someone that she could like talk with and complain with and who like doesn't freak out at crowds, um, uh, to to be there along for the ride. Uh, and you know we did things like because even though I don't have an AP right now, and the last two times I've gone in, I've been walked into the park, which for anyone who knows that means you, you have a connection somehow. You you get in, um, and it still leaves me in an AP kind of space. And for me, the AP headspace is like, whatever, I can yeah. come whenever I want. I mean, I'm so, not going to, I don't, right, there's right. no, you, the, the pressure to like, go do everything. Like, yeah. Get there alleviated and completely. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I kind of gave her that experience. And like, I, I, I didn't try to force, she's, she's enough into Star Wars that she was digging on that stuff. Uh, I didn't, I, you know, we checked off a few things. Matterhorn was not yeah. happening that day. <laughs> um, they just added FastPass, I believe. Really? Oh, maybe? Yeah. No, that, yeah, that would finally did. make sense. Yeah. Um, It'll make the standby line longer. Yeah. So. It's, it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely a damned if you do, damned if you don't, totally. like, these days. Um, but we, like, after the fact, like, I regretted, the one, my one regret of what I didn't strip at her to was um, uh, the Winnie the Pooh ride, which okay. is my personal favorite. Oh, really? really? I've never heard that before. Because <laughs> it's so weird. And particularly if you can, if it's a quiet night at the parks and you can make it from, say, the Carthay Circle and still be in a proper mood and get yourself into Winnie the Pooh, That's you're going to have a, a good time. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, and it's sort of like on hollowed ground. Well, it like it's like... Uh, the ghosts of the country bear jamboree still and, like live on. And my first and and my first relationship with that with that ride, I was I was upset because the country bears, as someone who was born 
in Orange County and like you know, grew up and like, you know, had an Orange County family, if you know what that means, country mm-hmm. bears were vital. And one of my favorite jokes on the old John Lovitz cartoon, The Critic, revolved around the country bears. Um, I, I I used to have the sing-along tape. I want to talk about cassette tapes. I used to have like the <laughs> Disney, all the oh, Disney yeah, yeah, And so my yeah, two yeah. favorite things were like the Main Street Electrical Light Parade. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, it's song. back. I know. It's back. I, I, I might Let's actually spend money to go because uh, I want to, I need, I need that. Um, just the ads. There was an ad running on YouTube, and I was like, "Oh boy, it's a really good ad!" Like, dang, I was impressed. I mean, they um, should. I, yeah, I love that show. The I main, mean, the, as much as the new one is um, is is visually interesting mm-hmm. and like just like a blast. Right. And I love the fact that like technolo- technologically speaking, it is a pure update. Oh yeah, I can say this. The song is garbage, and like just that that Main Street. Electrical Light Parade music, like it, there's just something pure about it, and that's nostalgia talking. But the other one sounds like it comes off of High School Musical Nine or something like that. <laughs> it is pretty timeless. I hope it stays yeah. forever and ever. Yeah, I would, I would love it to come back. And remember, Dreams Come True is coming back, which is the best firework show that's ever been in oh, Disneyland. Wow. I think. Yeah, I don't know if I know that one. That's the I know one Firework that... Magic in the Sky or whatever. Remember, but I don't know Dreams Come True. Remember, Dreams Come True is the one that ran during the 50th anniversary. That was all about the park. So it was all the Julie uh, Andrews. I think yeah, does Julie the Andrews intro. Man. It's it. I think I have it's seen all that about one. Haunted Mansion and parts of the Caribbean, and like everyone is in front of the castle, being like, "Yeah," because it's all <laughs> Disneyland. Like people who grew up yeah. loving Disneyland, and the fireworks show is about Disneyland. Well, and then it's a perfect. secret, a total secret. I think a lot. Of, I mean, it's not a total secret. I think a lot of people know this, but like, this is when we found by accident. So we just organically wound up talking about the park, right? <laughs> like, no, so I didn't segue in. I didn't try to force the guys to talk about Disneyland. Um, the uh, but we'll, but we'll learn some lessons from this about five minutes from now, I think. Um, <laughs> if you time it right, you can get on Big Thunder at the right point when the fireworks go off and you're screening around Big Thunder and you can have fireworks basically just going on, oh, not quite 360, but like a 180-degree right. spray of fireworks around you as you're going on. Oh, sure. That's probably that's at the same time as the, the goat trick, which is like a pretty insider. Yeah, you got to look at the insider uh, Disney. You know the goat trick. Oh, right? I know the goat trick. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd have to leave right now. Yeah. Oh, like, no. this is over. We, we, we like, like, the goat trick, like, we didn't even, like, the first time I heard about the goat trick, like, it wasn't even, it was literally. It probably like, sounds really weird for people. So there's a part, there's a part of Big Thunder, there's a goat, and what you do is you look at, you, you, you as you're going around the bend, yeah. you keep your eye on the goat. And and you just yeah, there's you a goat at the head. top of the mountain. Yeah. He's chewing on like a stick yeah. of dynamite. And, and it's just it just helps you, it it it, it just kind of adds to the centrifugal force. Like the, your perception right. gets a little like squint. Right. And even explaining it like still probably makes no sense. <laughs> just go on <laughs> the ride. Next time you're there, and stare <laughs> at the goat. And the thing is, the way I learned it was just it was when I was this it was one of the rare trips when I was like living in the Bay Area and coming down. It was like right after high school and like the girls in our group were just like, look at the goat. And so we were just looking at the goat. And then like years later, people were like, oh yeah, you got to do the goat trick. And I was like, oh, we just, someone just yelled, look at the goat to me. And I've always looked at the goat sense. Like, That's like one of even those weird, like grassroots thing. It's someone started looking at the goat and yeah. now we're here. It's like, it's like, there's, there's talking, this, about, it talking about it on a podcast. It's like, <laughs> maybe we should start a new podcast just about the goat. Look at the goat. Yeah. Look at the goat. Um, greatest of all time. Uh, well, they actually, you know, there, there's, there's a pathway back here. It reminds me a little bit of things like folk games, right? And so, like, for mm-hmm. me, one of the famous folk games as a kid was Hot Lava Monsters. Mm-hmm. And Hot oh, Lava yeah. Monsters, you know Hot Lava Monsters. Now, here's mm-hmm. a fascinating thing. I want everyone 
to stop and think about hot lava monsters. And, and everyone knows what hot lava monsters is. You need a jungle gym and you've got the kids on the jungle gym structure and you've got kids underneath the jungle gym structure. And it's a variation on tag. And what it is, is like if the kids underneath the jungle gym structure can tag the kids on the jungle gym structure, they become hot lava monsters. They got to fall off the jungle gym and they become part of the mass until there's like a last person standing. Mm -hmm. And it's known as hot lava monsters. Now, Try and remember who taught you that game. Oh. You can't. You no can't idea. because it spontaneously generates everywhere. And I remember it from first grade. And I remember, and I swear, and I'm sure it isn't how it happens. This is how I remember it. I'm sure there's some logic here. <laughs> I remember watching an episode of The Super Friends that involved the Justice League fighting mm-hmm. hot lava monsters. Okay. And then the next week we were playing that game on the jungle gym, but it's almost like this er folk game that exists in the minds of six and seven year olds. Oh, totally. That somehow it always becomes hot level monsters arrives. Perhaps (laughs) looking at the goat is like that. But the reason why I want to get around and and talk about in terms of folk games is that there's a dynamic in folk games where there are these simple ideas that get translated and easily passed down. They're an easy mechanic that you can grasp very quickly that stick with you. Right. Um, you know, we would, in an era where, you know, 10 years ago we talk about it in terms of memes, uh, before memes just meant like <laughs> dumb photographs of stuff, but like for, from a technical sense, it's it's this mimetic transfer of, of ideas, a, a little tiny phrase. And that feels like it's an essential building block of experience design. So what I'd like to ask you guys as designers working in experience design, how do you, what kind of things do you look for to sort of create those kinds of hooks? Take it away, Jack. <laughs> yeah. So, so you mean like in terms of in terms of theme park design, or just in... theme park design, or like, or or it could be it could be in theme park design. Let's start with theme park design. Sure. Let's start there. Well, I mean, personally, I, I think it's it's the old it's the old adage of just like storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. And creating a solid story and creating a themed environment that feels aspirational, right? It's not mm-hmm. like a literal tra- like Main Street is not a literal uh depiction of uh a city or a a main street right um and i think one thing about storytelling at least from a theme park perspective is keeping it very simple but having many many layers that you could dive into if necessary and my favorite example of that is indiana jones which is one of my favorite mm, rides which is here at disneyland yeah um, for those who don't know um and the, if you looked at what we call the show information guide, which has, you know, an Imagineers will write that about what's all the backstory. I'm sure it's page after page after page. And there's a there's a story for each scene in the queue that you're waiting in. You know, this was this type of trap was here and this was here and this story leads there and that leads there. And on the attraction, every scene is very strongly designed. But at the end of the day, the story that you communicate to the guests is you're going into a temple you looked into the eyes of the god, and now he's going to kill you. He's going to kill you in this room. He's going to kill you in another room. He's going to kill you a different way in, in another all different room. Ways. And that's t- sort of you story. had to look, didn't you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think subconsciously you can feel that layering of storytelling. You know, even if it's not being told to you like word for right. word. 
Right. It's, it's all there, and it's there. It's accessible by people who just go on the ride just to have fun, but it's also all that detail and good stuff is there for people who want to dig a little bit deeper. Yeah, right. And I think the other, and, and one other really good example of, or, or an example of how storytelling works specifically on theme park attractions, I think, is the teacups, which you don't really think of as a story-related mm. ride, but... For that sort of attraction, there's enough story to give you a sense of why you're getting this little teacup. But besides that, it's all about like you just having fun with your family. Like that's kind of the story when you leave a theme park is whatever experience you had together. Not so much of oh, I remember every little detail of yeah. you know the story that I learned in the Indiana Jones attraction. It's like no, your story is like oh, we you know did all this fun stuff together. Right, and so that's the hook, I guess. Getting back to the question, like it's it's having a positive experience and and having fun. Uh, with it, and it, I think a lot of people sort of lose that along the way, and that, like, hey, this is a uh, this needs to be a fun experience, in the yeah. end, and it needs to tell a story. Well, and I think that that people people underestimate the value of fun, or even even I'm starting to even think about like the horror world, like people underestimate the value of um, not going for a. A fail state like I was just listening to uh, we recorded an episode of uh, the think tank podcast the artist real talk and during that Jacob uh, and Patrick and I were talking about the escape room they did here the, the oh the, okay the, the trap house oh yeah they were telling us about that and and we were you know and I think Jacob was going with Patrick was talking about that you know the 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 the, um, the success rate in that room was going to be pretty low like he realized at a certain point but that what was important was that it needed to still be fun. Sure. Like, even though you didn't win, you still needed to have a good time. And I think that a lot of people, not a lot of people, but I think that there's a trap in the escape room world and a trap in, in the the immersive world or, or the haunt world or any, any kind of, you know, anytime where you think, that in order to create a confrontational experience or in order to get something across, you have to go into opposition with the the audience. I think of it in terms of like a role playing game where uh, the the you have people who you know players who believe that their opponent is the dungeon master, like mm-hmm. uh, dungeon masters who are like, I just want to TPK my party, which is mm-hmm. stands for total party kill, and you have these people. And I've encountered them who believe that it's it's a competitive sort of sport and escape room, escape, escape rooms, role playing games, a haunted house. Okay, right. All of them. Mm -hmm. People, a normal play. I want to shake my audience up and change them and never. And like I come from a very collaborative artistic background and I role played and I improv and I theatrical training like I acted and and I directed and it's always about for me the troupe coming together and having having an experience together creating an experience together even when we were appearing to be factionalized and I got a lot of this from my LARPing days mm-hmm. right and it was interesting oh no god Noah's telling a LARP story <laughs> <laughs> um, it, we were in Berkeley we were, it was college, it was Berkeley, you know, we were doing a lot of LARPs, guys, just like, it's a, it's a bad addiction. <laughs> there was another LARP in town, and that LARP was more from that, um, that confrontational 
right? Everyone right. had their character. Everyone was trying to min-max their character. Everyone was trying to, they were power gaming. And it was about beating the other people in the game. Right. In our game, we were a bunch of theater kids playing. We were really about dressing up. And I made it so that we were deliberately, I was encouraging everyone to have multiple characters. So instead of it being like, you're going to make your one character who's going to be more powerful than everybody else, it was like, right. you're going to have a host of different masks you get to put on. And those masks should sometimes even be in confrontation with, in, in competition with each other in order for us right. to create this like elaborate environment for us to tell these stories. And it worked for a long time until we got a couple of people who's like, I just want to have one character. And it was the people who saw it more as a competition. Who, right. Who, Something who to be won. Yeah. Right. Who destroyed our game. And, and it was my fault for letting that in and not holding a line. But the lesson I derived from it and, the, and the, the, the core value I still hold is that these are things we do together. Immersive, an immersive experience is something that the designers and the participants do together. Right. And that there's like a base level of expectation again of like it being fun. I think it's true of the theme parks, right? It's like they even have like a number of, of attractions that they hope a guest will be able to experience in a single day in order for that to be a fulfilled day. Right. Same with Sleep No More. Like a lot of people leave that show um, and if they're disappointed because they didn't get the whole story, um, but their goal is to be, is to say that no matter what you do, no matter what you choose, um, it's all validated in a certain way and that there's a minimum amount of character interaction and being able to look through the props and stuff. There's a minimal amount of that that they want you to experience in order for you to feel fulfilled in that show or theme park or whatever it whatever it is in your guys' studying uh and workshopping with folks uh and your your conversations with people in, in the world and i know you're actively doing this part of your development here um what lessons are you learning that you that you didn't just have uh at your fingertips because of your theme park experience i think one good takeaway that we had recently was just making sure that the audience members have a specific purpose as to why they're there mm. and that that's very important in an immersive show, which, yes, going to all immersive shows, usually when we're given a specific role, it, it, it makes a lot more sense, but it's something that we hadn't, for whatever reason, we hadn't then translated into our own show. Um, that was definitely one of my big takeaways recently. Yeah, I mean, you have to be sort of given a box to play in in order to feel like you have the agency yeah. to make choices or to interact. Like if you're given assigned a character and it's simple and it, you're, you, your task is somewhat uh, not linear, uh, but you know you have a, a, a place to start from, that's sometimes enough to hook you in to start pulling those threads and to start getting into character. Yeah. Um, Michael Tara Garver, uh, the, the director uh, who coined the phrase open frame to talk about this kind of work, she, she calls it like you know, casting the audience. You know, right. who do you, what do you cast? Who do you cast the audience in the role of? Right. Um, and it's definitely it's definitely something that is seems to be um, almost like an easy hack, right? You know, and I don't mean that like in a hacky sense, <laughs> but like or even in a hacky sack. Uh, just uh, <laughs> oh, sorry, I got to put five dollars in the pun jar. <laughs> I'll just steal money from the NPR pun jar and, and put it in our pun jar. There's there's millions in there, guys. Like you have no idea. Um, the uh, the millions. Um, it's, it's, I was about to go somewhere. I'm not going to. Um, the uh, yeah, it, it's 
it's essential because I know, I, I know I get I get lost in a show if if I don't know, if I don't know why I'm there in the sense of the story, mm-hmm. uh, and then I'm just there because I'm there, and then if someone challenges why I'm there, I literally have nothing to fall back on but like, oh, um, I got invited or. I paid, you right. know, like, like, right. what are you doing here? It's like, well, they told me to come. You know, like, well, I bought a ticket. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty good given in game here. You know, like, you know, like, I don't know. What do you want to do? Like, you know, like you tell me. You're, and the thing is, the funny thing is, is that there, I know there are players. I'm going to use players out there uh, who approach a piece and, and, and who bring their own sense of agency and they want to impose their reality on on a given uh story and um that's never my instinct so on one level i don't get it but i've sort of learned that this stuff is always i've said this before but for the new people just listening i always think of it in terms of a dance it's a partner dance and i don't know the steps mm-hmm. right like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go down to s- swing dance night oops sorry i'm not gonna go down to the swing night and just start like jitterbugging you know <laughs> like like we're all doing the jitterbug now it's like no 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 like you need to learn how to lindy like right. and and the people who are there at the show they they know right. the steps you need someone to lead you for a bit yeah. before you're able to do it on your own yeah and that's it's it's absolutely critical um, and the big part of that is casting the role. Mm-hmm. Like, like who, who are you? What else did you guys kind of, what other things, what other lessons stand out? I think uh, maybe the basic psychology of a space too. I mean, it's, <gasps> oh, yeah. let's talk I, about it. it's simple as like w- when you are in a blank space, what are architecturally or about the space describes like right. where you are, even without as a complete blank slate. Right. And a good example of that that we kind of talk about sometimes is an attic. If you're thinking about um, what an attic space should be, even if it's a blank white space, hypothetically, you enter through the floor. That might not be possible, but that would be an ideal situation. The walls of the of the attic are probably sloped. It's probably low. You probably maybe have to crawl a little bit um, once you start you know, decorating it, the walls are probably old wood. The props are probably not very neatly placed. They're dust all over them, sheets all over them. And so uh, it just, once you understand kind of the psychology of the space, it's almost like everything after that makes perfect sense because you know what that space is supposed to be down to each tiny little detail. Yeah, you start with the, it's a good, it's a good, uh, just design, pra- it's good design practice to work yourself from the like high level concept all the way down to the like smallest little detail. And uh, so what, what, did, what did that kind of exercise look like? So for example, like they use the, this, uh, like for Disney, for animal kingdom, right? right? Animal kingdom has the, uh, sort of, what is it? Motto or tagline of harmony with nature or yeah, something. Harmony like. between humans and nature. Like, right. How do you say that in Navi? No I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll see soon, uh, <laughs> but you take that right. And you, you use that to answer your next question. So, uh, well, if I'm if there's harmony with nature and that's my theme, okay. So, what do the buildings look like? Or it's almost like is it is it if that's the tagline? Is it more landscape or right. is it more oh, architecture? Okay, yeah. Even further oh, out than that, it's probably more landscape. Okay, but the architecture that's there is it uh, modern architecture or is it kind of vernacular architecture? Oh, it's probably more vernacular. What about the door on it? Is it on that building? Is the door? A wood door or a steel door? It's probably a wood door that's carved. What about the doorknob? Oh, it's probably some like beautifully cast doorknob that goes onto it. And you can 
understand all these things from only knowing that the park's theme is harmony between humans and nature. Nice. So it's, it's just a good, it's just good practice. And we're trying to apply that more and more often in, in like intangible with the whole psychology of space and, and working again, just like we were talking about before on those like basic, basic principles. Yeah. It, it reminds me, I can't remember what the word was, but it reminds me of there's a interview Terry Gross had with Francis Ford Coppola. And in the context of it, he was talking about how he likes to have a single word that the theme boils down to a single word for each of his films. And that's the word he keeps in mind as he's making directorial decisions and all the way through into the into the edit booth. And I can't remember the word was for Godfather. You, you can you can look it up though if you go like Coppola, Terry Gross. It was like November <laughs> or something like that. Um, and whatever the word was, like it was so it was so clear that that was true. I was like, oh yeah, that's clearly the word for the Godfather. It might have been secession or something like that. Okay. Like, you know, like, and I'm sure he, it like yeah. took forever to even get to that because like yeah. you, once you get that nugget of an idea or like that word, right? Yeah. Um, that will inform everything. Yeah. So you just got to be sure that that's like what you're trying to communicate. Well, and what I find interesting about that kind of technique is that you can use it in a systematic function. Like you can do what Jarrett just did, which was like, all right, here's these questions we have to answer about like landscape or architecture, you know, or buildings and this, that, the other thing, right. and test it, test it, test it. But you can also, in an improv- improvisational sense or in a devised sense, you can, someone can create something and you can, you can, weigh it against the word sure and you can add one more ingredient to that recipe and all of a sudden it's something totally different or you can even zig when you zag you know what i mean like you can uh you can go against the script and now now it's a whole new thing and why Hmm. and if you said oh it's a metal door now instead of a a wooden door what does that mean like you can force yourself to answer those questions because now it's avatar is there and so there's a little nugget that actually is futuristic yeah well and and is deliberately declaring yeah, like a metal thing in the Avatar land is going to be like, oh, this is the intrusion, right? right. You know, suddenly you've created conflict. You've created... And that can breed... Story. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right? You know, I mean, I've always been... I'm enough of a hippie that... that uh, and in my own life, like, not enjoying conflict, but uh, there's a way... I've finally gotten old enough where I've tricked myself. It's taken 20 years to, like, get over the concept of, of conflict, which if I just gotten into it sooner, <laughs> um, but it was partly because of the way I was taught to like look at it was just dumb. Um, there's a way in which conflict itself is commentary on the bigger harmony is is a catalyst for creating you know for resolving the tensions or the contradictions within something so having that thing that strikes out having the metal door in the harmonious space you right. know leads you to try and find the bigger harmony like how do you right. incorporate this thing into a larger framework and, um, and sort of like the show that we're trying to put on here uh, it's like you depending on how you come about these things and 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 being forced with certain props or uh, scenic pieces or vignettes you're your brain has to like connect these somehow. Yeah. Right? You got to fill in the gaps, and that's like that's the good stuff. Mm. Like that's what what we hope uh, as the audience uh, you take away from it, your own unique perspective on it. Even though we've sort of set up the the framework and the structure and the foundation, you totally flesh it out. What else has been on your guys' mind lately? Because you guys have been off in adventuring, uh, as it were, um, like working working on Shanghai. 
trips around the planet, et cetera, et cetera. Catching shows when you can, working on Delusion, working with Third Rail. I mean, like, oof, jeez. I know. Like, it's what? been crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's one thing after well, another. You, yeah, well, you just saw, which I'm seeing in a couple of weeks, is the key. So you could probably speak oh, much more about I'm Yeah, I'm show. really excited to see it. I've heard great things. But. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I loved it. I mean, it's very short, but it's like a total, like, it's a good hit. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's a, it's pure. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> it's uncut. <laughs> it's uncut, just like, man. Oh, you just want another one. <laughs> it's my, it must be what that's like. Yeah. Yeah. This is the, the immersive theater is kind of a nerd drug, isn't it? But right? it was a good example. And we spoke to the speakeasy society people the other day and they're awesome. They were so gracious with their time. Um, and it was just like an awesome example of how you don't have to spend like a ton of like time at the show. Uh, it doesn't have to be like the most flushed out, like in terms of production design, like it can be simple. I mean, I'm sure it took a lot of work, but it can be at its core, a very simple concept and very like, uh, nicely done with limited resources. And it's still like kick ass. It's great. I feel like if you, if you nail your execution, particularly, it's almost like the, it's almost like the inverse of what you guys are doing because like you guys are going to be focusing on like the set stuff and they focus on the the acting side of it right. and it's like if you, so one day we'll merge the two um, <laughs> no but really one day we'll merge um, Noah has schemes um, the uh, if you nail your execution right the audience on what you can the audience will forgive the things that aren't there it's the thing that helps the suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the thing that helps ease you into uh, a story world. It lets you focus on stuff. I mean, you know, we, we look back now, we look at, say, like the original Star Wars, and like, you know, there's guys in rubber masks, and things are like obviously janky, but like the things that they need to, or, or like the lightsabers, like literally go out because they forgot to animate certain frames, right? <laughs> and yet we forgive. Because right. they nail the things they needed to nail, mm-hmm. right. and that's enough. Um, I, I feel like the majority of an audience steps into an experience, and they they want to be taken away. They they sometimes they need to be taken they away. They just need that little spark right. on the fuse right. to get them going. They need the permission. Yeah, they need the permission to to release their suspension of disbelief. Yeah, but I mean that show was just great for so many reasons. I feel like. Uh, my decisions really did matter, mm-hmm. uh, like in real tangible ways uh, that I'm excited to see the next show, just because it seems like it really is building. And when we were speaking to them, it sounds like our decisions were really being watched and like really being taken accounted for and will uh, change how the story progresses. Yeah. So it's really exciting. It is a, the, the danger of course, is that there's a, there's a, can be a gap in the perception between what, the choices, what the what, you, what the audience thinks the choices are going to lead to versus what the designers know the choices can mm-hmm. actually affect. It's like an invisible leash. You kind of want to like drag them in a certain direction and make them feel like maybe they're going left and right, but really they're on a steady path, like a jet, like a yeah. water skiing or yeah. something. You right. Know, like you're making little decisions here and there that are affecting it, but generally they've got you yeah. on the, the path. Well, right? I, also, I also think there's like there's a way to like overpromise agency um, or I always, I always go back to the example of, um, you know, the telltale video games versus uh, the perfect versus the mass effect trilogy. And so many people who played the mass effect trilogy, like thought they were in a certain story and they thought they were going to get a certain kind of ending and they didn't. And so they, 
called in death threats to the designers oh, because oh. they're <laughs> jerks. I remember that now. Yeah. yeah. And that and the, seems logical. Yeah. Just kidding. Well, and the funny thing was, was that like, you know, my experience of Mass Effect was like, I played the first one and I was disappointed because, I, and I was quickly disappointed because I thought I was going to get some sort of politically complicated, like Stanislav Lem, Stanislav Lem, Lensman, like universe and, right. and, and the frameworks there for it. And then they instantly throw in a world beater plot. Mm. So suddenly like, oh, now this thing's coming to kill us all. And I'm like, right. well, that's boring. I wanted Star Trek and you're handing me Star Wars. And I love Star Wars, but I wanted... I wanted Star Trek right now, guys. Like, mm-hmm. I don't need the world. I don't need the Borg version of Star Trek. I want, like, TOS. Right. Um, you know, if I want that other thing, I go play Halo. Um, and then the second one, though, was, like, lovely. and was all about relationships and still had that meta plot. But I had, like, I had given up on uh, looking for an intricate political story. And instead, I got a, a soap opera laid within this world beater plot. So I got really into that. Mm-hmm. So in the third one, I knew like, oh yeah, like I know where this is going. I know how doomed I am. I care about the relationships with the other characters. And that's what the people making the game were clearly interested in. Well, the players wanted and thought they were being given uh, the ability to be like the superhero. They thought they right. were a superhero story. Alter the galaxy. And the, the funny thing is the exact same year, the Telltale's first Walking Dead game came out, hmm. and in that game, you are doomed from the beginning. But yeah. there's something about it. everyone just accepts. Oh yeah, we're doomed. It's it's the Walking Dead. So like, I'm doomed. I'm gonna make these choices, and I'm just picking who lives and who dies. There's right. literally no difference right. between that and Mass Effect two and three. It's the difference the, between perception of agency and yeah. not you know. And, and how to telegraph sure, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's true of all of these games, right? Like, the story is what it is, and, like, the, they have to design it, obviously, in a way that, like, will be fulfilling. Yeah. But uh, they want you to at least feel like you are making your own, like, yeah. unique little touches upon it here and there. And and I think that for... In, in weird... In defense of those who, like, hated the way Mass Effect ended, you know, the telegraphing they did may have been too subtle, right? Like... Even though I feel as someone, I felt it was like being hit over the head with a hammer, but the the grander frame of space opera suggests that, you know, I mean, Luke Skywalker does not die at the end of Return of the Jedi, right? Right. You know. Uh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Watch out. Um, yeah, he doesn't, he, well. What's this movie? What's what Star Wars? Star Wars? Sorry, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> what you're no, talking. Never What's your, never yeah, you guys have definitely never heard of <laughs> Star Wars. Um, the uh, I was about to say like he doesn't even like go off into exile. Although now he, uh, we kind of know that he does go off into exile, right? Uh, even but, though everyone needs him, what a jerk! Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah just come on, Luke. Banning, everyone's looking for you. Banning when he's needed the most. Step up, Luke. I know you have the map. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> God. <clears throat> God, it's cold. Um, I really, I gotta, I gotta keep the Star Wars references out of the, out of the show in general. It's, it's such a danger for me. Um, very slippery slope. Slippery slope in multiple ways. Uh, and I wasn't even talking about this episode. I meant in the show in general. I gotta, I gotta stop. I gotta stop. We need an intervention. There'll be an intervention episode in about a year and a half. Um, the uh, wait, where was it? Oh yeah, no. Anyway, the point is. <laughs> The characters, everyone's just like, oh, man, I do not know why I subscribe to this garbage. Um, (laughs) The point, there is a point. The point is that 
if you've got if you're working in a particular genre and you're going to bust the conventions of that genre, then you got to telegraph it in a in a slightly stronger way. You've got to at least give people uh, a bit of foreshadowing. Right. And I think that's a lesson for a lot of immersive experiences. Like I've, I'm thinking of some immersive experiences right now that. Um, you know, there were there were possibilities within within the the world they had built that mechanically were there, but a lack of foreshadowing meant that the audience never clued into it. And on the one level, if you've got something like, say, the Indiana Jones ride, right, your average guest doesn't need to like understand like the intricacies of the dig particularly right. on which is the the queue line particularly on a day when you can just like bust right through it right but like when that thing was originally designed like they didn't have fast pass they didn't have all the stuff people right. were going to be standing in that queue line mm-hmm. for freaking ever exactly. and so they built out all that stuff to let people who got bored start to ask questions and start to dig through and start to discover they right. even handed out Used to be a little card, oh, the little decoder, decoder, card. decoder cards yeah, cards sure. that decoded the and hieroglyphics. Some of that's still there. I you mean, can kind of squint. This, if you yeah. squint, you can kind of read it. Yeah, like yeah. each letter kind of looks like the letter it's supposed to be. Yeah. So you know they 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 invested that level because they knew those people would have that time. Right. Uh, but they also literally handed you a decoder card when you walked in and basically said like, "Oh, here's a whole layer of this reality that you can access." Mm-hmm. Right. And that's very unsubtle. But I guess the lesson that I'm trying to tell people. Uh, to, to derive is if you're going to if you're going to put an element into your show particularly if it's an element that either breaks genre or or sits outside of the expectations that you're normally telegraphing you've got to communicate the possibility of that to people somehow right. or they'll they'll never miss it otherwise you're asking for people to to bring their reality and try and impose it. You're asking people to break your show, to right. discover, you see, because you're asking people to like mm-hmm. tear your escape room apart, right? There's yeah. there's there's no there's no escaping it if you don't, and you don't have to like, it doesn't have to be as unsubtle as a, um, as a tutorial level in a video game, but you must be communicating the the boundaries to people. Definitely, and and that's mm-hmm. part of escape room. I love escape rooms. I've done like tons. I don't uh, do enough. They, <laughs> yeah. I want, yeah, I want to do more, and they're popping up all the time. So I feel like There's it's a, a losing battle. You'll never do all of them. No, but yeah. but I mean, one thing about them is that even if they are. Um, super thematic and they have beautiful set work and in the end at the end of the day there's a clear goal and that is to win and so for certain people sort of talking about like what you were uh, mentioning earlier uh, if that goal is in place uh, it, you almost become fixated on it and it um, can take away from the storytelling so that's why when we we kind of wanted to uh, use an escape room as a way to uh, describe the experience that we're trying to put on, but right. I guess we don't want there to be an expectation of there is a win result, there is a win lose result, because mm, in yeah. some cases that just will completely undercut all the storytelling you do. Right. And because you enter the room, and what's the first thing you do in an escape room? Tear like, it all. You down. rip it all. You flip the furniture it. over. Yeah. And then tear like, the ship apart until you found those plans and bring me the passengers. I want them alive. <laughs> that is the exact command for every escape room. <laughs> <laughs> but like Jerry, you were you were talking about how you had been to the escape hotel and how you right. kind of like oh yeah because uh, we were going with a lot of people who hadn't been to escape room before and so you know beforehand 
I get competitive for escape rooms for sure. <laughs> kind of like what you're yeah, talking about. You so, not against each other, but like as a group, right? Yeah. So before we do it, like, okay, this is kind of what it is. There's probably going to be puzzles and stuff. So the first thing that we're going to do, like go in and look at everything, like flip the rug over, like look under the rug, look over everything. Tear but things off tear the wall. Things <laughs> off the wall. But we go in and like, we're kind of doing that because I told everyone to, sorry, escape hotel. And they like come on the intercom and they're like, making a mess will not help you progress and i was like oh sorry everybody um but i guess the hard thing is kind of but to they're wrong point. it does i know <laughs> so that's that's really the hard thing because to your point once you say like you must find the name of the game is yeah find, escape yeah find the clues find the hidden doors then you can't then go back and ask people to be gentle about it i guess because yeah. you only have, you have a limited amount of time like so that is a it's big, a delicate balance big design challenge of how to um, give people agency, but not so much that they're going to start breaking things. Yeah, no, and, and that's and in terms of the physical design of stuff, that's almost exactly where we're standing at. And you know, you'll never, it'll never be perf- perfected. I don't think because you know humans are all bulls in china shops sometimes. Mm-hmm. But you can't, I can't, uh, you can't prevent it. It's going to happen. Yeah. There, there will be extreme cases, no yeah. matter what. But right. like, but the the sort of like, it's really a, it's it's a matter of minimizing harm. It's sure. a matter of keeping things tight. Right. Actually, one story I heard about that from I can't remember which escape room it was, but they were at a, at a conference. They were talking about, um, you know, people just. It makes sense, but they kind of like put put go into a different headspace and just start doing stuff that they normally wouldn't do in that situation. So mm-hmm. their example was that, you know, there was some sort of like antique TV or something in the corner. <laughs> and, you know, one of the persons was like, oh, maybe something's hidden in the TV. Let's smash the screen open and see if there's anything inside. And like at that point when you're really into the story, like everyone's like, yeah, let's do it. Like that sounds great. And they smash the TV apart to see if there's anything inside. They got kicked out. And there wasn't anything inside. But oh it's, it's almost like hard to But what blame. if there was something in there? I, I bet know. you the keys in the actor's oh, stomach. I don't think they went. Let's <laughs> get it over. Yeah. 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 But sometimes yeah. it's almost hard to blame the audience in situations like that. Like okay, that's an extreme example. It probably is their fault for that case. But besides that, when you know audience members are breaking stuff, they're probably not doing it purposefully. It's just they, they got really into the story. They got really into the story. They got frustrated because the next step, the the, the next step was so opaque that right. it that it felt like well. Maybe it's this thing, right? You know, um, or maybe they had to break something open before, like a small, you know, maybe maybe you taught them to do something, and that now you can't take that back away. Once they say like, "Oh, you can break open the small object to find something," now they're like, "Great, we can like break open so, everything." I can't remember. I can't remember who did it, but like some for one room I was in, someone said like, "Oh, you know, two fingers of force." Right, like nothing requires oh, okay. more than two fingers worth of force, mm-hmm. and that was enough. And, and indeed, I think that's a good design principle for. And if any anyone is left making escape rooms in this show, I, I'd be surprised. I'm sure somebody is, but but that two fingers of force thing, I think, is is key. Right, right. Like you gotta, or at least if if your room requires a little bit more or something, like know what that physical limit is, and then you can just you can convey that, and that doesn't. I'm sure someone is like, oh, but I just want people to like use their own instincts. Like, no, no, no. You don't want people destroying the 
five to ten thousand dollars you put into this space, right? You don't want someone taking a light fixture off the wall. But there is right? something to right. that, and there is something to also just like diving headfirst into people's expectations. Like we all those escape rooms in Shanghai that I was talking about. I mean, they have crazy stuff. You're in prison cells that physically you can move across the room. There are secret passages that you crawl through that opens up into a room that had a working waterfall and cargo net that you had to crawl across. I mean, it, well, I mean, look, we don't have those kind of facilities <laughs> here in America. For for a reason. No. Exactly. Well, that, that probably is like yeah. a huge part of it. The building codes are yeah, not quite the same. Like that. <laughs> but yeah, it's like either either set up rules or lean into it and just say, you know what? If they if I walk into this room and I see that TV in the corner and I've taught people that I can break things in order to get it, you better you better make sure that you lean into that and say, okay, well then I am going to allow them to do something like that. Maybe not that extreme, but uh, just. Play it up, you know, and go into the experience at, with fresh eyes and play into whatever the person expects. Yeah. Just don't be surprised when they take a sledgehammer to your attendant's head because yeah, you, you <laughs> gave them a sledgehammer earlier in the day. Um, right. Well, it's like all the haunts, too. Right? Oh, yeah. Well, they, like they ask you, they do all these extreme, you know, the extreme haunts, they do all these things to you and then they expect you not to like react. And it's like it's 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 difficult, right? It's really difficult. I I, I kind of I don't. It is well. It is it is a well known fact inside the world that I don't do the extreme haunts mostly because I can't trust that I won't instinctively elbow someone in the face. Right. And I don't want to elbow someone in the face who's just doing their job. It's like uh, I don't. I, I yeah. Like and and if I if I shut down, that means I'm not present. And the whole point I do my whole reason for doing all this stuff is to be increasingly present. So it's just like not compatible with my programming. There are other people for whom it is completely compatible and that's their bag. And, and I get it. I get it on, on, on all sides of it. Like, right. you know, mm-hmm. like I totally understand the, 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 you know, people have that joy. I'm just not wired that way. Right. Right. And actually, I'm curious, we read your review for it, um, but now that you've gone, I think, another time and had time to think about it, what what are kind of your takeaways for delusion? I know it's not, oh. a, haunt, it's not a haunt, yeah, as we said, but it's kind of, you know, in that same realm. Um, well, so but now, looking back on it, what are you your know, takeaways? But, like, let's, but let's talk about it in the context of, you know, and, and this is the thing, it's like, I think, like, I'm... I'm I'll do a couple. I think it was on my haunt life and saying that I'm going to do a couple of haunted mazes next year. Like oh, cool. next okay. year, I'll next year I'll definitely go either to like um, the Queen Mary or, or I'll jump down to knots or maybe even Universal. Wear some not. boxing gloves or something just in case. Well, no, but like I can, I can, I can, I can kind of keep it. Like I mean, like alone. The first alone taught me enough that like you know, like I have like I can just hold like you know. Is that the one with the, actually the last time that I was at uh, this? Not think this, tank. not the first one. Oh, okay. I did the second one, but yeah, the last okay. one I think tank was was okay. the first alone with the homeless guy who like followed you for a little bit. And I famously, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's just again one of those situations where it's like, well, am I inside the magic circle still? Yeah, yeah. Am I outside of it. Yeah. 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 Which which people so many people talked about that moment in, in in a way and it was so glowing and like got me like really excited about about alone. And of course they couldn't do that trick again like right. the, the next year, but so but it still left me like going like oh like it, it left me questioning whether or not we were in the liminal space or not. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's that's great. That's really great. It's a great technique. Um and I I'm imagining like there's 
there's a little bit of um, there's a little bit of a proscenium uh, virtual one in in your haunted maze. Right, there's just a little bit of, of a gap. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, I'm never gonna want to go to the one with the gun, and they chase you out with a chainsaw because I'm just like, don't oh. go to Universal. Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> if that's not your bag, yeah, it's not my bag. Well, but like mostly, be, just mostly because not because I'm like I'm gonna be scared of the chainsaw, but just because I'm just like, oh, I, mostly I'm just like, oh, like, like my OSHA inspector brain goes in. I'm like, oh, how's this gonna work out? Like, what if I trip? You know, like how dangerous is this? You know, and I like, think Delusion did a good job at setting the rules out from the get go. Yeah, sort of defining again, defining your role as yeah. as a player and what you can and can't do from the very beginning. And 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 and, and thus, I love it. Like, you know, you walk in, you get cast in a role very quickly. It's clear. It's a group role, uh, so you know you could be called upon at any moment. Uh, and then you know. There's a there's a there's a picture box type experience, and so you feel like oh maybe we're just gonna watch stuff, and then that gets subverted, and now nope you're not just gonna watch stuff. Here you go, enter the world, you know, and then it's it's every room felt like you know like an old Lucas Arts adventure, except with a much clearer objective, right? It's like you know do this thing, do that thing, do that thing, and it right. wasn't a mystery to figure out, but it was just like you know here's almost like a Scooby-Doo like cell. It's like, Oh, this is brightly colored. That's the thing I pull. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And that's Those fine. Point and click. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's okay that it's simplistic because it's not the puzzle of the room. That's what's matters. It's right. the story. And it's like, um, I've also talked about it in terms of, it's like a pop-up book. And I love a good pop-up book. Mm-hmm. And you like you sit there and go like, oh, what happens when I pull that tab? Oh, there's a monster, right? right? You know. And then you go and then just pull the tab a few more times. So like, oh, this is really cool, right? right? Um, you know, going back a second time, I didn't wind up. I think I think it had been sufficiently long enough okay. that like anything that was like a, a a more obvious shift, I didn't actually pick up on. Um, did you have different paths that you took? No, sadly. Okay. Like I wound up, I didn't, I didn't get pulled off okay. either time. Um, but I did have the joy of watching, uh, another group of people get really freaked out. And that was, <laughs> that was a blast. Right. Um, and then, um, and then there were a couple of things like one of the more obvious ones was, uh, uh, at the end, like there were more coffins, right? So there's that thing. That was fun. Right. There's a, there's a vampire bride in a coffin. Uh, that was a fun, you the most obvious change uh, that I had. And then because I knew it was coming, like the point where we kill the vampire brides with sunlight, like the first time I operated like the one that got the light in to the room. Right. right? You know, like I, maybe I was the one who figured out, I was like, Oh, here, this thing, here's the other thing. Right. Right. Uh, And then this time I knew it was coming and I was like, I'm going to hold, I'm going to be front line. Cause I was, cause I was like, I was like, well, last time I played the back line and this time I'm going to play the front line. (laughs) Cause I earned it. Uh, I'm going to be in different room. Yeah, I deserve it. (laughs) Um, I took that one for myself. Um, (laughs) But like, you know, and like, I got like, you know, I got like, you know, I, I ran. I actually tried to set myself up to be taken because, okay. like, I tried to go by oh, the cranks. Little hand yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like, I, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I pulled. I, that part. Yeah, I pulled this. I mean, I call that pulling a sleep no more trick. Like, I knew where to go to try and get the one on one, but I just picked the wrong one, and so okay. I was a little bit like, oh, mm, I don't get to get dragged into a coffin. Oh mm-hmm. well. Well, you I know, think in our, you know, we went through it a couple times, just um, mostly to study it and see what we needed to uh, fix and update um, before we finish our design process but the the time when we went like a month later or a month into the run i think my biggest takeaway from that was just audience etiquette because there was Uh one there was one person in our group 
not our friend. It was mostly our friends, and then this couple had gotten in, and he like forced his way into every Situation. single yep. interaction. It was like so absolutely frustrating. And so all yeah. these people that like we worked on the show and brought a bunch of friends, and so our friends didn't really get to do any of the cool little experiences yeah. because this one guy just like would bust forward into like everything. Yeah, and like I kept myself the first time through from being that guy. And it was, I was with a very, it was pressing interesting night. I was with a very, you know, kind of timid group. Okay. Right. So like, and like no one wanted to put their hand through the hole to get like fed upon. Oh, okay. Right? Oh, right. To like, okay. to like start, you know, unlock the familiar's room. No one wanted to do that. And I was like, oh, oh God, really? No one wanted to, <laughs> here we go. And so I was like, oh, I was with that, that people. So, and then right. when I got down to Celine's crypt, okay. I was the last person in the room. I think I've told the story on the show before. I was the last person in the room and everyone's standing around the coffin and I'm like, no, no one's going to open this. <laughs> and someone, someone said, someone from like another, like, you know, uh, uh, magazine said, uh, we didn't want to break anything. And I just gave them this look like, and I said, I, th- I think someone should open the coffin. You know, I was just, I was, I almost wanted to start lecturing everybody and be like, oh, are you guys, are we in the same building? Do you, have you paid attention at all to anything that's happened for the last Especially 30 the minutes? Especially there, right? Yeah. Uh, it's like, the last 30 minutes of our lives and uh, right. our, you have not paid attention to what goes on. Like we have to pull the freaking tab. So then they, then they opened it up. But like the thing was my instinct because I was so into it okay. was that I wanted I wanted to be that guy in your group. And I think right. there you you get into in a group dynamic, right? Right. There are only only two things that can control that kind of group dynamic. One, it either has to be a straight up buyout situation. Like you right. have right. to have a group of friends and they will check each other. That's what we tried to do, but then two people got added. Yeah. <laughs> um and and indeed, like, you know, but 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 I'm not putting this that on you guys. I'm putting that on the show, right? Like the show has to afford, have to be designed around the idea of the buyout. Right? But there's, in, you know, in some ways you just simply can't. And you can't. It. And and for right. delusion you can't, right? Like, and I, and I get that. Right. Um. And, and there's 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 price structures that way. But there are other shows that you know will will be like this is a group experience or or other rooms and right. like we're gonna charge X amount of money and I like think that that show too just uh, did a really great job at. Like it's the sort of the gateway like drug into immersive theater, and so it, it oh, doesn't ask like too much no. of everybody, and like it's not asking for really crazy interactions right. that require right. you to yeah. like make huge decisions. It's right. just a little bit here and there, right. and right. I think it does a good job at teaching people, even if they go through it and they might not uh, be bold enough to make those decisions yeah. the first time. Now they know like what they next can get away with, and right. yeah, next time but they're in a show. But that's like, but like the, the the buyout is one. The other way is something that the Speakeasy Society experimented with. Which was the idea of the, basically like almost like the a ticket. They had a token, right. and it was it was for it was for Johnny Part One, and I think it was like your, it was your papers, right? And like and what they would do, and and they abandoned this a little bit because it was a little bit clunky. But what they would do is they would say like, "Who's got? Okay, good, I'll take that from you." And that was their way of knowing that someone had gotten a primary interaction, right? And so, um, there are ways to mark people. Right? right, like we're gonna either you're gonna take something from or you're gonna add something onto, and I think it also sort of evenly distributes those interactions. I, and I feel like those shows do a really good job of that, making sure everybody gets you know a yeah. little bit. And right. and you have to be you have to you have to tag people somehow. And I think that's the only other way to control in a group to prevent someone from you know hogging. Right. And like it's the same thing in like a role playing game group. Like you'll you'll have some people who do they just hog the game. 
you know, um, and and everyone else hates them for it. Right. Um, and and that personality type is out there, and the only and you have to if you want everyone to to have a chance, you have right. to design for that. And the only two ways, and if you if you don't want to spend the heavy lifting designing, then it has to be like this is a buyout show. Right. Like you know, it's up to you to like I'll I will sell you that I'll sell you access to the show. You'll you'll have this setting for yourselves. It's two hundred dollars. Pack in as many people as you want to pack in. That's your choice. We have an upper limit of this many. Yeah, right. the escape room that I did in Paris operated under that sort there of. There's several escape rooms that work that where way. Where it's yeah. just like, oh, I have an upper limit to the amount. You're paying that money no matter what. If there's five people, if there's two people, if there's ten yeah. people. And that's what I think we're going to do for our show, too. Um, yeah. Since it is a very like intimate experience in terms of scope, I think it's going to be you know a certain price for up to two people. So you could yeah. go by yourself. Yeah. Or you can go with a friend. Yeah. And I think that's that's for what you guys are doing right now. That's that's a smart way to go, um, and and yeah, I like and the other option is the other option is um, tagging folks, right? Or almost like um, you know, then she fell in Grand Paradise. Do a good job of that too, because there's so many. You, it, it's kind of like that dark ride model where you're brought yeah. from scene to scene, and so many of those scenes are by nature one on ones that yeah. you all you feel very fulfilled yeah. after seeing that. You had a lot of either one on one interaction or maybe two people with one mm-hmm. actor, and yeah. you saw a few things that no someone one else. else didn't. Oh, yeah. And then it's all about the the post show, like you know, you have debrief. some drinks and you debrief. Yeah. I mean, that's almost just as validating as the show itself. In oh, many massively. Well, and and with then she fell like it's. It's it's actually it's it's a perfect version of the of the tag built into the whole structure. It all comes down to what chair do you sit in mm. when in in the in the lobby, right? And which also means that if you've been once, you know I'm going to sit in a different chair. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get a different track. Grand Paradise. What's difficult there is there wasn't that you could try and angle yourself into a different opening oh. scene. Yeah. But you didn't. There was no guarantee. And then, d- depending on the order, like the, I went to the Grand Paradise twice with like one night gap in between. I tried to make sure I was in a different opening scene. And on the second rotation, I tried to make sure I was in a different starting scene. I had no idea though that I was then going to wind up on a variation of almost the same track I had done the night, the two nights previous. Okay. So I missed a whole. There's a whole another side to that world right. that I didn't get. Now, I did get a few variations on the theme that night that were wonderful uh, and, and very meaningful for me, uh, but then also like a 25, 30-minute block that was just like, okay, this is what I did two nights ago, okay. slightly different in one part, totally the same in another part, um, impressive in, in, in that watching us one scene repeat itself and it still feel fresh like but that's that's a very different kind of um uh happy place experience from i'm getting something all new and that's because that show did not have a clear sit here right. track yourself off and that's a, it's almost like a weird kind of agency uh, well, not even a weird kind of agency. It's a very clear kind of agency. It's simply like you start off. There are two doors. You want to go to the left door or the right door? Oh, I'm going to go left. Okay. Oh, wow. That was an amazing experience. I'm going to come back tomorrow night and I'm going to go in the right door this right. time. And sometimes it can really be that simple. Yeah. And be completely fulfilling. Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, 
We've been at this for a while. <laughs> we'll probably talk a little bit more afterwards, uh, as is the want of this thing. But let's get down to some brass tracks. Tax? Tracks? Tax. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. Either or. Either or, both. <laughs> let's put some brass tacks in some brass tracks. Um, sorry, everybody. I guess the caffeine wore off. Um, Scout Expedition Company, the target for the first show is in... April. When do you think you're going to be announcing? So um, we're hoping to have the website up, which will be scoutexpedition.co by the time that this uh, airs. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, Scout Expedition. Yeah, follow um, us. We need more followers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and if you, sign up, still. if you sign up for the newsletter on our website, we're going to be sending updates really soon about uh, how to get tickets and when we're going to be releasing those and how that's all going to work. Right. And we'll, act, we'll put more information on the website, but we will also be looking for voice actresses. So um. keep that. if you are a voice actress, um, please keep us in mind. Yeah. Depending on when this airs, because the schedule's kind of crowded, uh, that call might go out before, but... But if it did or if it comes out afterwards, uh, we will make sure to put that on the jobs board on the Slack. Cool. Oh, that's uh, great. Which is uh, a, a, a definite thing. It is the, the initial iteration of, well, hopefully one day be a, a much more solid jobs board. But right now, it happens in the Slack. Jeff, Jarrett, thank you for being our guest on the show. Thanks thank for having you. us. All right. Once again, want to thank Jeff and Jarrett for being our guests on the show today and for and for being backers of the show. I think I mentioned it in, during the interview, like there there wouldn't be a podcast without Jeff. There wouldn't be. He came through right at the start. This is all his fault. You can blame him for ruining every single weekend for the past 90 weekends or whatever we've been doing this. 86 episodes, but remember, we took some time off. Um, that's a lot. Ooh, man, oh man. We're getting close to episode 100. Uh, let's do the stuff that we're supposed to do. Hey, how do you find Scout Expedition Company? Well, on Twitter, they're at Scout Expedition. And their website is scoutexpedition.co. Not .com, .co. All right? How do you find us? How do you find No Persinium? Why do you want to find No Persinium? No, kidding, kidding, kidding. NoPersinium.com holds all the major links, and I just updated the front page of the website, so now there's a link to the archive, so if you've missed any of the newsletters, you just click on that and you go from there. Um, at NoPersinium is our Twitter handle, at Noah J. Nelson is my Twitter handle. You can email us, no underscore persinium at outlook.com. Hey, I didn't go off on off and off about the Patreon this week. Why? Because no one gives any new money. No. <laughs> No, but really, no one, no one, no one pledged any money this week. Um, we've got, we've got a lot of back. It's, it it ha- happens that like you know, oh, I hit a goal and then like it, it slows down. That's, that's totally normal. But I've got like this internal mental goal right now. I want a hundred backers, even if it's just a dollar. I want a hundred backers. I want us, to, I want us to do that. I want a hundred people to put down at least a dollar and say this matters. This matters to me at $12 a year, which I know you could get Time Magazine for $12 a year, and it's not like I'm exactly doing whatever Time Magazine does these days. It was really cool animated uh, covers that you don't get with a magazine. You just get online. They're just making cool ads. Anyway, the point being, 100 people, $1 each. That's the new Patreon goal. I know it says like $200 for the 
talking backy thingy. That's happening, but this is between us. Uh, Patreon.com slash no proscenium. That's where you declare your love for all things. Me? Oh, God. Narcissist much. Medium.com slash no dash proscenium is where you find our writing. We've got uh, a couple of new pieces in up. Uh, that review of Fear is what we learned here that was up in um, up in uh, the Bay Area. And I just remembered something I was supposed to do at the top of the show. So I'm going to go back in time in a second here, and I'm going to add something to the top of the show as soon as I wrap up. Uh, you'll you'll have already known how this happened because you'll hear the edit. So you're getting a little a little process preview action going on here. All right. On that note, oh my goodness, there's a lot going on right now. This spring is jumping. It's all over the place. It's it's piled on top of each other. It's crazy. I'm super excited by it. And uh, frankly, having to drink like six cups of coffee a day just to keep up with everything. So next week on the show, I've got like three different options and I haven't decided on one yet. I really like this game I get to play. I think I'll probably announce about Wednesday of next week. Um, it might be a VR-focused show. Why? Because I feel like talking about VR right now. Yeah, I'm capricious like that. Anyway, one last thing, and we would be truly remiss if we forgot this this week. The music for the show, as always, is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Uh, Chris was injured recently, uh, so he's, he's laid up, and I know he listens to the show. Uh, so hopefully he's listening to the show, doped up on pain meds, which is... Uh, Probably the best way to listen to this show, just to be completely frank and honest. So, Chris, hope you feel better soon. Until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs> <laughs>